What's going on, guys? This is Rob Doster here. I want to let you know about our sponsors, Anchor by Spotify. If you haven't heard about them yet, it is the easiest way for you to make a podcast. I know because all of our 28 podcasts on the field of 68 and the field of 12 use Anchor by Spotify. It has the tools that will allow you to record and edit your pods right from your phone or your computer. You can distribute anywhere. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, all those places that allow you to listen to podcasts for absolutely free. Anchor sends those pods directly to the feeds. And here's the best part about it. Anchor is totally free. So make sure you download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm if you want to get started on your own podcast. Hello and welcome another episode of the DTF Podcast, the Doster T.O. and Fanta Podcast. It is Monday, January 24th. My name is Rob Doster. I'm joined by my lovely, lovely co-hosts, Terrence Oglesby and John Fanta. And we're here, and I don't know about you guys, I'm dragging a little bit today. It was a wild night last night in football. It was an even wilder night last night on the field of 68 after dark. So uh, how you boys doing? Probably better mm. than any Bills fans that you might know, right, Fanta? Uh, definitely better than, than any Bills fans. I know I'm heartbroken for Buffalo as a Browns fan. We have a nice bond of a lot of painful years and a lot of heartbreak. So when one of us succeeds, we're getting behind the other. We're rooting for the other unbelievable weekend of football. And I actually think college basketball benefits when these types of things happen because then people are are more drawn just to their TVs. They're more drawn to any sort of sports. And we had a fun weekend of college basketball. Auburn, Kentucky lived up to the hype in in a lot of ways in terms of the atmosphere, in terms of the Southeastern Conference delivering on a big stage. And there were a number of other things that happened on a loaded college basketball weekend. So, guys, the NFL playoffs have been spectacular and I just love these types of sports weekends. You know, now you're, you're in the deep. You're in the heart of the winter. Um, the shovel is all that you're using outside. You, you warm up with a blanket and a coffee, and you just buckle in and watch everything happening around you. And that tells me we're in the dog days of the college hoop season. But what are we? We're less than 50 days away. 50 days away from having a bracket on the field of 68. Yeah, that's exciting. I didn't even know there was a football game being played until about 8.30 last night because I was uh, trying to catch up with uh, all that was happening in college basketball. But I turned it on right before the two-minute mark of the Bills and the Chiefs. And that says a lot about me. And the fact that I haven't been keeping up with NFL as much as I probably should have. But uh, I had the kids all day Saturday. Uh, We went monster trucking and uh, a bull riding. So there was a PBR, Pro Bull Riders, uh, whatever it is association or pba or well I don't, know, I don't know the acronym but on sunday i got pbr is the lot beer of to no it's PBR the beer but it's also professional bull riding <laughs> there it is there's your that because every time my my son says i love pbr i, I do a double take so yeah <laughs> professional bull riding but that, that was a lot of fun so i did a lot of yesterday catching up but uh other than that uh, great weekend for hoop as brother fanta said nobody says it as eloquently as him so i'm just gonna let him have that <laughs> I just I love I love that the first thing you say when you come on here is we went monster trucking and we went to a rodeo. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I caught myself as soon as I said it. I was like, ah, probably yeah. not a good look. 
<laughs> lean into it, man. Lean into it. The East Tennessee. You got to represent. Um, all right. So uh, the big game of the weekend, Fanta alluded to it. Uh, Auburn, Kentucky. Auburn ended up winning 80 to 71. Uh, but of course, the big storyline coming out of that game was that Ty Ty Washington rolled his ankle at a point when Kentucky was up 25 to 16. At the same time, uh, Jabari Smith was out with foul trouble at that point in the game. So it was just it's it's a little disappointing that we didn't get to see Kentucky at full strength, have a real shot going at Auburn in that building, in that environment. So, uh, Tia, I'm going to go to you first on this one. Uh, what what was your biggest takeaway from, from that game? Uh, man, does North Carolina miss Walker Kessler. That was my main takeaway because he just fits everything that Carolina needs right now. But I'm an ACC guy. Other than that, I mean, the game lived up to the billing. If you get Ty Ty Washington healthy on a neutral floor, this might be like a five overtime game. Like these are two quality opponents. Uh, Calipari, they started out a little slow. We were like, well, they're matchup dependent. They're starting to figure it out. And it's been fun to watch. Uh, I still love Katie Johnson. Is he the most exciting player in college basketball? And it's not because his skill. Is because he just plays so stinking hard, and like like Bruce said, when you when you name dropped me the other day on Saturday, that fired me up. Like Bruce said, uh, sometimes you you can't change who the player is, and I think that's one thing that Bruce does better than uh, just about anybody in the country. You recruit these guys because they're good players, and you don't want to take them in and change who they are. And I'm so happy that he hasn't changed who KD Johnson is because his, he is his best so good is coaching confidence. You know, he like he's a good, he's a better X's and O's coach, and people give him credit for absolutely, and he, yeah. And he finds a way to be able to kind of maximize the strength of his guys. But more than anything else, that dude knows how to coach up a kid's confidence. He knows how to make sure that that dude is like, look, you might take a thirty-five footer, thirty-five foot step back. That's the worst shot on the planet. But I'm going to let you shoot it again because I've seen you make it before. Look, that, nobody coaches up confidence better than Bruce Pearl, Fanta. Oh, look at Kessler. Sorry, Kessler. Prime example, Kessler. Sorry, go, go, Fanta, go. <laughs> well, w- one of my takeaways from the Kentucky side of things, and I do think that things go differently in the game because Ty Ty Washington is the centerpiece of the Wildcats. I'm not saying that Kentucky walks out with a win, but we're talking about a one-possession, two-possession type of game. But my bigger takeaway with Kentucky is they need their starting five to play an A game in order for them to win. Now their starting five is really, really good, but they don't have a bench. Like when Davion Mintz is your lead bench player, at the end of the day, there are there are limits to that. Their reserves just didn't do enough. And a guy goes down in Ty Ty Washington, and I have a ton of respect for what Ty Ty Washington's doing and think that right now when he steps on the floor, you guys talk about confidence. The way that Ty Ty Washington has been playing as of late, he steps on the floor and he automatically believes that he is the best player on said floor, and he has played like it. But in this game, there are two things that stand out to me. Number one, Oscar Shibway does it all for Kentucky in the front court. Auburn ain't faced by that because Auburn's got a two-headed monster of their own. And Walker Kessler took on the challenge when 8 of 10 from the field was absolutely fantastic in this game at, at both attacking and at protecting the cup. And then Jabari Smith just asserts himself. Auburn also has more guard depth than Kentucky. They do. And that's what concerns me with Kentucky big picture in the NCAA tournament. That if 
Ty Ty Washington is having an off day, which can totally happen. It's college basketball, NCAA tournament. Kentucky, I don't know where they turn, guys. If if Cal has to go to his bench, I just don't think it's a good sign. Whereas if Auburn has to go to their reserves, Auburn's in a much better place. The Tigers are number two in the country, should be number one on this Monday because they have more options. And that, to me, was the difference in this game. And, and it's being a little harsh to UK because Ty Ty Washington could make the massive difference in this game. But the fact is this. Kentucky does have a depth concern. They do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Go ahead, T.O. I know you got something to say. I know how I fired up much. you are today. I, it's, it, I, I am fired up today. I got monster trucking out of the way, so now I'm ready to do push-ups, get this day going. <laughs> Look, uh, Davion Mintz, we've, we've talked about it before. He's not going to get it done. Uh, especially at the level that Kentucky fans are hoping that Kentucky gets to. Now, what Fanta's saying is absolutely true. That starting five is woo, buddy. Uh, I, I'm a little disappointed that some of these freshmen haven't stepped up and been a little, done a little bit more. Damian mm-hmm. Collins, like I thought he was going to be better. I really did. And I guess the trust level that Calipari usually has in freshmen for no other reason than he doesn't have a choice because they're all freshmen in a past 10 years, five, five, 10 years, whatever it's been. Uh, he hasn't been forced to throw those guys out there, and it's kind of hampered their development to where usually they would be starting to, like, really put it together, right? Does that make let, sense? Let me, Fanta, yeah, you no, got, got a little quizzical look from Fanta. I got a little nervous to my own words there. That doesn't happen often. Well, well I mean, he's definitely I, not using the freshman the way that he needs to be using the freshman. I don't mean to cut you off, right. but just really quickly, like, I wonder how much of that is a byproduct of what the recruiting calendar was like for this class of kids. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Like, like yeah. these, these coaches weren't there as often as they were for other classes. Like there were a lot of guys that they only recruited and only scouted and only evaluated, watch them on video. And it's very different watching somebody on a live stream of a game that happens in a high school gym versus sitting there courtside and be like, Oh wow. Yeah. He really is that big. Oh wow. Look at the way that he covers ground. Oh wow. Look at the way that people react when he makes a move, you know, look at how the shot, the, the, the ball comes out of his hand when he shoots it. Oh, uh, that team they're playing again. Yeah, those guys are um, a bunch of uh, future pros. Whereas, Oh, this team, they're playing a bunch of guys that look like they should be playing uh, in the men's league with me and Fanta. So um, it's, I wonder how much of that is is a byproduct of what the recruiting class was, but you're 100% right about the depth issues. Like, they just – Kentucky has seven guys, and they rely so much on two of them to be great when it comes to Ty Ty Washington and Shebra. But to me, my, my biggest takeaway from that game was that Kentucky, when they're right, is a top six to eight team in college basketball this year. They're awesome. They can get to a Final Four. They can win a national title. Um as long as they stop having their backcourt get injured in every single damn good game that they play. That's really what it comes down to for me. Like, keep these guys healthy. You don't have yeah, – it's going to be a problem if those guys aren't playing, but you have guys that are good enough to get you where you want to go. Can I throw something in there, just not about Kentucky, but about Auburn? I, I was sitting here thinking about the roster. When you, you talked about the depth of their guards, Fanton, you guys were alluding to it. Like, he gets a really talented piece or two. They're really talented pieces – and Flanagan's still getting there, I guess. But Jabari Smith is obviously super talented. Kessler's super talented uh, and skilled at seven foot one or whatever the hell he is. But their guards, their best strength is that they play so hard. And that's a skill. And that's a skill that Bruce Pearl recruits better than anybody in the country. Those guys never stop. 
and you put up with some of their uh, inadequacies and they cover up some of their inadequacies because they play so hard. And that's why I, I find Bruce Pearl's team so much fun to watch. If you look back, even back to his Tennessee days, Duke Cruz, 6'7", 230, not overly, at, not, not overly skilled, super athletic, plays his butt off. Raymar Smith, who ended up getting in some trouble, but same thing, not overly skilled, plays his butt off. Uh, it, it's, that's his M.O., get guys that play stupid hard, and that's a massive skill. Yep, it is a 100%. massive skill, and, and Bruce Pearl was on the field of 68 over the weekend. If you haven't seen the interview, you got to check it out because it's a great watch. Bruce Pearl, you can tell the moment he starts talking about his team how much he enjoys coaching this team, and he should because he has everybody on the same page. Talking with Wendell Green Jr. last week, Wendell said there were some discussions that were had with Bruce Pearl about coming in off the bench. And Bruce Pearl said, look, you're going to come in off the bench. This is, this is how this is going to go. But you're going to create a spark for this team. And you would much rather finish the game than start it. And Wendell's taking that on. He's really taken on that whole mantra, that whole attitude. There's not enough players in 2022 that are doing these types of things. They get told that they're going to come in off the bench, and they think, "Uh-uh, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I want the association, I want the league." Uh, look, folks, that's that's just not how it works. Be the best at your role. Auburn has good role definition. There's no envy with the star talent. There's no, we got to get this guy more touches than the other. They have a free-flowing style. And I think, I think it's the ultimate tribute to who Auburn is that they can have a KD Johnson be a KD Johnson and, and still have Jabari Smith and Walker Kessler do their thing. So, look, the Tigers are in every way. And Kentucky showed quite a bit. The Kentucky Wildcats can go deep, but I'm I'm still uncertain because of the depth issue. I worry about it when you don't have a go-to option off your bench and you're in March. That that concerns me in the big picture of the Wildcats. Yeah, it's a fair point. The, the depth issues are going to be something that we talk about all season long with Kentucky, just kind of who they are uh, this hey, year. Oh, I want Window green. I'm sorry. Last thing I promise. Uh, window green to be able to do that's huge because I remember my freshman year we had a starter go down. He had a knee injury. I, I wanted to start, and like that was a big. That was a goal of mine. I was like, I, I want to start some games this year. And Demontis Stick goes down, ter- tears his meniscus, has like a two week surgery, comes back or something. I can't remember exactly the situation. And they ended up bringing a kid. Uh, Sam Perry, who hadn't played but like six or seven minutes all like per game all year, seldom used, but he was a senior. He brought a defensive edge, and it was a way to get him re-engaged. And in hindsight, that's very obvious to me now because one, I ain't playing no defense, none, and two, <laughs> I came in and brought an offensive spark like right away. Because if you needed a jolt of energy, I could give that to you with a couple of made shots. Now, for Pearl to bring Wendell Green in and be like, hey, this is what we're going to do, and this is why, it means the world. Because 
Oliver Purnell never brought me in and was like, hey, th- this is why you're effective off the bench. If he would just told me, I'd be like, hey, yeah, that's fine. We'll do it. But I was never told. So therefore, I got pissed off, lack of communication. And like, of course, he doesn't owe me anything. He didn't have to say anything. But right. it's big of Pearl to be like, this is why you are yeah. going to be good for us. And I think that's significant. Like, good mm-hmm. on Wendell Green for accepting that role. I couldn't do it. I wasn't smart yeah. enough at the time. At the end of the day, the most important thing is communication, telling people exactly what you want to want out of them, what you expect out of them, what the role is going to be and what they have to do to be able to let this group succeed. And that's not just a basketball thing, guys. That's that's life. You you want to have a successful business. You want to have a successful classroom. You want to anything you want to do successfully. People have to know uh, what is expected of them and what you need to do to be able to make that work. I want to pivot because we're talking about guys that. talking about role definition we're talking about coaches that get you to play hard we're talking about guys that will get a program to buy in we're talking about guys that know how to get their players to understand what the role is which is basically what Shaka Smart has done with Marquette this season and and I don't think we can overstate how impressive the last I mean it's probably about a month for what Marquette is but for the last three games they beat Seton Hall at home last Saturday they went into Villanova Fanta into Villanova, into the Finn, and they yep. beat the Wildcats there. That, that's the first time that someone has won in that building in like 18 years or something. I don't know. The, <laughs> I'm sure you have the exact stat. What? But, but in, in Fanta's lifetime, that's the first time anybody's ever won in Finn. <laughs> um, and then on Saturday, they went, or on Sunday, they win and they beat up on Xavier. That's three straight wins over top 25 teams. They are the only team in the Big East to beat Providence. They've won six straight games. The last time that they lost, was a double overtime home game uh, that was a result of Alex O'Connell hitting a three at the end of the first overtime to uh, to send it to a second overtime. So they're, I mean, look, six in a row. Shaka's got those kids playing hard. They are rolling. They play at Seton Hall on Wednesday. Yeah. Woo. And then, uh, how about this? So we just talked about the, they just played three straight top 25 games. Here are the next four games for Marquette, for the record. Yep. At Seton Hall on Wednesday, at Providence next Saturday, Home for Villanova, February 2nd, at UConn, February 8th. Like, <laughs> hey, look, Big the, East. The Big, Big East. East is a meat grinder, fellas. Meat it's grinder. a meat grinder. That is a ridiculous seven-game run. Yeah, the Big East is a meat grinder. The Big East should have five top 25 teams on this Monday. Talking about Villanova, talking about UConn, talking about Xavier, Providence, and Marquette. Marquette should appear in the poll. The Golden Eagles are second in America with six Quadrant One wins. There is no question about them being an NCAA tournament team. They have done so much over the last three weeks, and it is a pure example that in this long marathon, if you do find a way to put a sprint together and you don't have a massive stumble on the hurdles, that you're going to find a way to the big dance floor. They have created their way to printing a ticket. And they're doing it because they defend their tails off. This is a team that really gets up in you. And that is the Shaka Smart way. But I want to look at a couple of players for this group. You have a Justin Lewis, who's six foot seven, a sophomore who is scoring the basketball at an elite level. He's playing the game like a power forward who has his sights set on perhaps getting a look from the association someday. Oh, this is will. a guy this is a guy who who has really taken his offensive game to the next level. His feel 
for the game has risen to the next level. And I was in on Mark. Jay Crowder. Jay Crowder. I wouldn't go that far right now, but but look, there's there's a lot of toughness in this kid. And I saw Marquette practice in October, and Shaka Smart was riding his tail. I mean, on him from the start. And I think that it took Justin some time like to understand that he's riding you because he needs you, man. If you guys are ever going to perform this year, you're going to have to lift this team. He's done it. Daryl Morsell, you want the ultimate testament to coaching? Daryl Morsell under Mark Turgeon, zero 20-point performances, zero. Under Shaka Smart, I think he sits at six, if not seven. And had 19, and had 19 against Xavier. Right. He's become a totally different offensive player. Like, they have unlayered a side of Daryl Morsell's game that Daryl Morsell said, I didn't even realize it in College Park. So you have guys that have evolved. You have freshmen. Freshmen who have played a key role on this team. Cam Jones is a real tough, tough guard. Little guy that makes things happen for this team. Stevie Mitchell can play defense, and that's why he's finding himself on the floor. And Tyler Kolick, the George Mason transfer, mm-hmm. Atlantic 10 freshman of the year, has added a lot to this team. They are a dangerous, dangerous team. They have scheduled hard. Their schedule was very difficult from the outset, and they beat Illinois when Illinois didn't have Kofi Coburn. And a lot of people said, eh, I'm not sure still, you know, Illinois didn't have Kofi Coburn. People are still uncertain about Illinois. But then they racked up three more uh, – power conference wins after that and in the big east they have delivered and i think it's a first year coaching staff that the rest of these big east coaches have not faced they don't have two or three scouts a year on them and i think that that's benefiting as well but in terms of marriage between coach and program shaka smart is perfect in his home state of wisconsin at marquette and shaka smart has a fire lit under him because people said he couldn't coach simply because things didn't end up working out at a program that overall has been pedestrian Texas. Yeah, look, you know what? The, here's my take on shotgun Texas. And I've said this before. Um, so much of success when it comes to coaching is finding the right fit for the way you want to play, what you do best and the way that you're going to have to recruit to a certain program. It's all about fit when it comes to, co- unless you're like Bill self and the elite of the elite of the elite, it's all about the right fit. And at Texas, you're going after five-star kids that are going to be uh, jumping ship for the NBA early. It's just what it is. You're going to have to recycle 19 and 20-year-olds over and over and over again. And that's what Shaka did. But for him to have success winning games the way that he did at BCU, what he does best is building a culture, building that kind of family atmosphere, building that brotherhood, getting these guys to buy in and have that bond where it means more than just basketball to them. And it's very difficult to do that over the course of eight months or 18 months, depending on how long some of these kids were on campus. And it's also um, the way that he wants to play. When you have 19-year-olds doing it, that's one thing. When you have 23-year-olds playing that way that have been in college for four and a half years, it really changes things. And at Marquette, he can build that culture. He can develop that. He can get old. He can stay old. He can get guys that are bought in. There's a, a, a built-in fan base like that. They're, they're going to, what is it called? The five, is it the Bradley center? The five sir forum, the, no, the, well, the, the, the five sir forum, terrific the building, ha- the house what, that what, Giannis built. Let's just call it the house yeah. that Giannis built, whatever it is. Like, they're gonna pack that, that's an NBA arena. They're going to pack it. They're going to put 15,000 people in there. That place gets yeah, loud and, when Marquette is good. And I'll tell you what, 
last thing on this Marquette fans are nuts. They are passionate. They are crazy. They are smart. They care. And Shaka is going to get that fan base riled up and energetic. That building is going to be sold out. Like I, I'm really excited about the future of Marquette. And I'm saying that as somebody that's probably going to end up getting there. Like a fan of a team is going to end up getting their ass kicked uh, more often than not. When, if Shaka gets that thing rolling, like it's, it's going to be fun to watch that program grow. And, and last thing, and Tio, I know that you have a relationship with Shaka, and I, I know him pretty well, Fence. I know that you know, you're know you getting to know him now that he's in the Big East. Like, it's very hard not to root for that dude. You love right? Shaka. Like, he's just a, he's just a, a good guy. So um, I'm, I'm happy that he's kind of found a place where it seems like – I don't want to say, like, he's happier because, I mean, look, when you're living in Austin, Texas, making the money that you make as the head coach at, at the University of Texas, it's very difficult to not have a good life. But I'm I'm glad that he's finding a little bit of success. Like these dudes are also competitive. So uh, that's my that's my shocker rant. Go ahead, CEO or fans. Someone else take it. People people forget he won the Big Twelve last year. Yeah, exactly, TO. Exactly. Like it's more about Texas than it is Shaka. Yeah. The the reason for that breakup is not is more about Texas than it is Shaka. Tell me the last you know Texas basketball clearly has clearly has some bigger picture issues as a program as a whole. Mm-hmm. I mean they just do. Here's a problem with Texas. Here's a problem with Texas. People think they can throw $100 million at something and just fix it. Can't do it. And yeah. you could throw $100 million and then not show up. Kids, are, You're right. They're, they're, the facilities are everywhere, guys. Like, facilities are everywhere. And that's, yeah. that's a big part of it. I, the thing I like about the way Marquette plays this year, just to kind of get back to what we're talking about, because obviously I love Shaka. I think he's terrific. He texted me the other day about – a kind of a project that might may or may not happen this year, but we uh, to have guys play that hard, you have to go deep in your bench. We're kind of a little bit talking about Auburn. They're not as talented as Auburn, but they, you know, four guys off the bench got at least 15 minutes. And if you're going to guard like that, you have to have like, you have to be pretty deep. They had nine players play heavy minutes. The only one who, in that top nine who didn't is Omax Prosper, who just has struggled to get going offensively a little bit. That's a Clemson transfer. I know Omax. I think he's talented. It's just going to take him a second. But they just – they have so many guys. And Daryl Marcel, he's turned into, like – what what was – my question is, is I'm sitting here watching Daryl Marcel. <laughs> what was Turgeon doing? Like, that kid's good. And he's obviously uh, a smart kid. But, like, he was – he was the he, defensive player of the year last year in the Big Ten. But, I mean, when you had – um the the some of the pieces they had offensively last year like they just didn't let that uh mm-hmm. Marcel kind of get going like maybe you should have maybe should, that would have helped you a little bit he was using the wrong pieces I mean like this dude is really good and they just have I, I love Justin Lewis I, I know I don't know what it is about Marquette and six seven six eight guys that are really bulky but they sent they tend to make it happen like these mm-hmm. big physical guards three fours I mean you look back they get some guys like that and, Jimmy, you know, Butler, obviously Jay he, Crowder, Wesley Matthews, uh, Lazar Hayward. They just, yeah. it's those dudes. Everyone. Yeah. Under, what they are is they're undersized fours that work their butt off and turn into twos and threes. Like yep. that's what happens. 100%. So. But, but you Real know quick, what? With, just one, one closing thought there. You're bringing up guys that were in the Buzz Williams time. Uh, Tom Crean. Yep. Who got inducted in the Marquette Hall of Fame. <laughs> Here's the thing. I, I do want to bring this up. Marquette's fan base has really been unfortunate the last decade. Like Marcus Howard goes down as one of the greatest Marquette players ever. And, and he told, and, and the best scorer, and he's the top scorer in Big East history now. And 
he comes down with zero NCAA tournament wins. Marquette fans have been showing up. They've been showing up. Uh, I, I love my man, Kevin Sweeney. He was at the Marquette-Xavier game on Sunday, and he said Marquette fans have really embraced the shock of smart era. Marquette fans have embraced basketball for a long, mm-hmm. long time. They, they were showing up for Steve Wojciechowski, but they ended up getting their hearts broken quite a bit. They, I mean, they showed up to those games, and they ended up getting their hearts broken. So Marquette I love when fans you drop bombs on Wozo for the record, Fanta. <laughs> just like... Well, it didn't work out, and I think we I think we all would agree it just didn't it just didn't work out. No, it and didn't. Uh, it didn't work out, and you know it is what it is. And it was a period of time where they were they were almost they were top twelve at certain points under Wojo. Like they were rolling with with Marcus Howard, Sam Hauser, Joey Hauser when that when the Hauser brothers transferred, it changed everything. But one one final thought on Marquette. I don't think people understand, Rob and T.O., that Marquette spends at a top 15 budget level in college basketball. Mm-hmm. We're, talking, we're talking major dollars being fed near the Potawatomi Casino out in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and in that area. There's some major money, folks, out in that area, and there's some major money at Marquette. You're not able to build the house that Giannis built unless you've got area to redevelop and, and, and get the place going. That's a beautiful building. They can recruit really well. They have a good brand awareness over there, and basketball's the show in town this time of year. That's it. It's freezing over there. It is freezing, and now the Packers are done. So out in Milwaukee, the focus is hoops, and that's why Marquette benefits. But they, they spend too much money to have not won an NCAA tournament game. And Terrence said it, money can't buy you everything. But now you got the right leader in place, mm-hmm. and it's working. I love what I'm seeing from this team. Yep. All right, let's pivot, because uh, Penny Hardaway had himself an interesting week, and I, I know that <laughs> T.O. has something to say about it. I'm sure that Fanta has something to say about it. So I'll go to you first on this one, T.O. Uh, Penny Hardaway on Thursday night ripped the media criticizing them for – uh, the way that he's been treated, some of the, the the questions about whether or not he's good enough. I believe he said, uh, stop asking me stupid fucking questions, bro, is a direct quote. Um, and he he said that his team is uh, it's too young. He's dealing with 17, 18, and 19-year-olds mm-hmm. playing against grown men. And he did this about three weeks after he ripped uh, his old players for saying that he needed to play the young guys and the old guys wouldn't buy it. So, um, he's not really picking a lane. He came back on Friday and he apologized. And then on Saturday night, they somehow managed to squeak out a win over Tulsa, who is 0-6 in the AAC right now. T.O., what, 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 what's going on in Memphis, man? It does, I feel like Penny needs a therapist or something at this point. I think Penny is overwhelmed. I think that's just what it comes down to. And I feel like Penny has had so much success at the lower levels of college basketball that he doesn't feel like he has to take into account what Larry Brown says as much as he probably should, or it's, it's, you want smoke, you got smoke. I, I feel like we've said it time and time again, he wanted all the smoke. He's getting all the smoke. And now we can't tell if there's fire or it's smoke. I'm not sure what it is, but it's, it, there's so much to unpack. There's, there's, I mean, he's irritated. He's blaming his older guys and then his freshmen don't play well. It's, it's a mess all the way around. And I just, it's amazing to me that they're just not very good because they're so talented. Even those three freshmen that he was starting, what was it? Manat, uh, uh, Bates and, 
like, dude, <laughs> those freshmen are really, really good. Like, what are you? Well, he, he, here's the thing. We just spent the first 30 minutes of the show talking about how yeah. good Bruce Pearl does at getting guys to buy in, how good Shaka, how well Shaka does at getting guys to buy in. Um, role acceptance, role allocation, uh, the, 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 the whole is better than the sum of the parts. Uh, whatever cliche you want to use, Shaka and Bruce are great at it. And Penny has been horrible at it this season. Horrible at it this season. When you have, there's, when you have that kind of infighting in your roster, in your locker room, you're never going to be able to have any kind of success. Um, when you have two five-star freshmen walk in, Fanta, and you have a team that is coming off of a win in the NIT, and you can't find a way to get some kind of harmonious marriage there to get everybody to uh, to to buy in and to accept like, hey, this is how it's going to go. You just you don't have a chance. You don't have a chance when you're when your guys care more about uh, outscoring a teammate than they do about winning a basketball game. Uh, when you're more worried about whether or not you're starting over Imani Bates or Imani Bates is starting over Landers Nolly, when you're more worried about that than you are about beating Georgia. Who is fucking it's terrible? It's a disaster. It's a major problem, Fanta. It is a major problem. This is not smoke. It is fire. This mm. has been a fire this year for the Memphis Tigers. Dumpster it, fire. It, yeah, it's it's been brutal. And I can't put it on the kids. I can't. Because it's your job as a leader of the program to do just that. And what, what that was on Thursday night, I, I'm sensing a lot of pity. I'm sensing a lot of you should feel sorry. Sensing a lot of you guys don't know what I'm going through. This, that, and the third. You're making too much money. You're making too much money to be going through what, what this program's gone through this year in, at the end of the day, a week conference. You're beating Tulsa by two. You're beating Tulsa by two. It's time for change, by the way, down in Tulsa. Uh, Memphis basketball is that very, very good sign outside of a restaurant that was great 40 years ago. You walk in because you re- – like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you guys an example here, okay? And, and this might be why I have a little bit more girth here. So <laughs> gro- growing up, growing up, you as a kid – would read your summer reading books, right? You do your summer reading for school. And if you did your summer reading and you did it the right way, you'd come back to school in the fall and they would give you these tickets and they said, book it. And they had the big Pizza Hut logo. And the Pizza Hut logo meant that you got a personal pan pizza at Pizza Hut if you walked in. So the whole, I was one of four. So the whole Fanta family on a snow day is going into Pizza Hut, okay, you could get your personal pan pizza. I was a little hungrier than my three siblings. I'd take the four ninety nine lunch buffet. You'd have a field day. Remember the glasses that were red with the with the the ice and the fountain soda. I mean that was vintage Pizza Hut. By God, in twenty twenty two, if you saw me walking into a Pizza Hut, the the world is freezing over, especially in New Jersey or New York. Are you kidding me? I think I'd be put in jail. The point is, it was great thirty years ago. People loved it. They loved the pan pizza. Then they figured out, they're like, as the years go on, it's like, uh, uh, you know, no disrespect, but come on. Memphis is that. They're, they're like a pizza hut. Okay, like, like in theory, 
it, it looked great at one point. That that pan pizza looks so beautiful, golden crust. It looks fantastic. And then it's like now it's like, man, I remember the old days when you when you went up to a pizza, you drove up and you saw the red hut, like the traditional red hut. It was a specific building. Now those are no more. The brand's still kind of there, but it doesn't taste the same. It's not what it was. And that's what Memphis basketball is. They 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 just they, you can't just win with glamour. And that's kind of the motto of this podcast. It's got to be more than that. It's got to be fit. It's got to be role allocation. And I can't blame the kids in this situation in Memphis. You have more than enough talent. The fact is, it's late January, and you have no idea what you're getting game to game from your team. And that is on you, Penny Hardaway. It is. Yeah, my, my biggest thing is that he, he's spent this entire time blaming everybody else when the fact of the matter is when you're the head coach and you have this level of talent and you can't get guys to buy in and you've built a roster that doesn't have a point guard where you are trying to force fit a 17-year-old that has never played as a lead guard who is wired to score and wired to shoot and has done it at a very high level over the course of his entire life. When your roster hinges on turning that kid into Penny Hardaway as a 17-year-old that weighs 175 pounds, it's on you, man. You 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 brought in a lot of talent, but you built a bad roster. We're approaching you have a lot of good. You have a lot of good basketball players, and you have a bad roster. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, we're, we're approaching apathy. I think people are falling off the Memphis train, and it's not good because they've been able to recruit. And if you see that building, whenever I can't remember, I think it was Wichita they were playing at home, that building was jumping. When they played really well, they had a team meeting and then played well for two games. I told you guys that stuff isn't – those team meetings aren't sustainable. But, like, it's it has to be held accountable by the coach, period. Point blank, period. And I – I don't think I'm the only one in this. Obviously, we have to talk about Memphis a little bit, but people just don't care anymore. It's gotten well, that, to a point that after he thing. did that, yeah, we've jumped into apathy. Like, it's like, yep, bingo. It's, the, only, the only reason we're talking about him right now is because Penny Hardaway went nuts in a press conference. That's the only reason they get any level of attention. I'll be honest. I did not realize that they were playing yesterday until the game was over and someone sent me a text. And you see, uh, that was like, hey, you see Memphis finally got a win? And I was like, they played today. They were down. Uh, they were down seventeen at half, I think, or fifteen at half. I can't. I have it right here. It's that's uh, that's where we are with Memphis basketball right now. Is that thirteen? They were that, down forty six, thirty three at half. The people that get paid to cover the sport aren't even paying attention to them when they play. That's what Memphis basketball mm-hmm. is. That's what Penny has done to them. So um, I don't think it's time to uh, to to fire him yet. But you need to light a fire under his ass and say, look, man, like. This you ain't getting it done, and you need to start looking inward on this one. All right, Fanta, I know you wanted to talk about Indiana's loss because uh, they had a weird week. They knocked off uh, Purdue at home, number four team in the country, arch rival, beat them in their own building, and 72 hours later, they got run out of the gym by a Michigan team that is not very good this season. So uh, what's what's going on with these Hoosiers, Fanta? Well, a team that that got very excited, read their clippings, watched the videos, looked at social media after an incredible win over Spent too Purdue. much time at Kilroy's. Don't forget about that. Spent too much time at Kilroy's, and then you're, you, this is your true colors. This is when true colors come out. This is when you show me that you could lose on the first day of the tournament, be out of the tournament by 4 o'clock on Thursday, or that you could be sitting on in the second round. But do I trust you? 
It's hard. It's hard to trust you. You're on your home courts. Assembly Hall is rocking on a Sunday. It's a CBS broadcast. And you just lay that egg, that egg to Michigan. And don't get me wrong, Michigan finally, finally just said, we got to ride Hunter Dickinson. Let your All-American caliber player be the centerpiece of everything. And Hunter Dickinson took it upon himself to win this game. And there's still time. Uh, I still think there's time for Michigan to, to, to maybe make a February surge. I really do. That being said, I want to get back to Indiana. This is a disappointing loss. This is a really, really, really disappointing loss. I was ready to start crowning you and to start saying it's great for college basketball when Indiana basketball is good. Well, give me the crown back. I'll take it elsewhere. I'll take it to Burger King. I, I, I can't crown you, okay? Indiana, in this game, guys, they – what happened to Rob Finnessy? I mean, he, he only has two points in this game. I don't know what, what went on. Um, you want to know what I think it was? I, I think it was they got up for the, the rivalry game. They played a rivalry game at home. They won it, and then they came back, and they were like – it's it's just a, a classic letdown spot. And I think you also got to have to – I mean, look, Michigan shot 11 for 17 from three. How often are they going to shoot 11 for 17 from three? Not often. They're getting, they're, they're getting better, um, but I think that that had a lot to do with Indiana just not – not showing up. I think it was just kind of as simple as that. I, I mean, look, Tio, you played at that level. When you land a huge win, how hard, hard is it to come back three days later on a Sunday, no less, on a Sunday to come back three days later and and put together the same kind of effort? I mean, this is this is why Bob Knight was so good. He could get his teams to handle greatness. Mm-hmm. It is so hard to handle greatness. You go when you beat Purdue. And it's a fantastic win. Huge win. Fantasy's great. Like, how do you handle the next thing? And that's the big difference right now between uh, Indiana of today and Indiana of old. Can you handle the next game? Because basketball is a long season. We, we, we said at the beginning of this podcast, it's a dog days. January through about mid-February is a dog days. Like, you got to get a big win, and then you got to turn around three days later, and you got you got to win again. And that's what wins conference championships. And that's what uh, shows your team's mental toughness. That's the biggest thing. I mean, Rob Fennessy kind of reverted back to the mean a little bit because I, I stated a little bit when we interviewed him, like he, they've been hard on him and probably rightfully so because he's been very up and down during the course of his Indiana career. He's one of five, over three, played 18 minutes, didn't really supply much of anything, three fouls. This Indiana team has to learn to be hey, great. Look, again. they were three important fouls, though. Okay, they were three. They were three big fouls. Yeah, that's what I like to tell myself when I <laughs> attempted to play defense and had. Four You're right, fouls. exactly. Yeah, I, there's no excuses look, though. There's no, no there's excuses. Not. But on, but you, this is learned. This is learned. Like, if you're going to be a great program again, and Indiana fans want so desperately for Indiana to be great again, like you have to embrace greatness with an ability to move on to the next thing. And that's so hard to do when Kilroy's is two streets down. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it has a lot to do with it. You have to learn to rebound and keep going. It's hard. Like we would, we go triple overtime whenever I'm in college, play Florida state at home. You got to turn around. You got to win the next game. Like you have to be able to regroup and refocus. And that's what great teams do. 
and they have to learn to handle greatness. That's the and biggest it's, problem. It's also, I, I think I'm going to, I'm going to tie this back into Villanova because I know that, that, um, that great point. Great point. I'm going to let like, you make it. Go ahead. Great. Well, point. The Villanova has an expectation of winning. So when they go mm-hmm. out and they win a crazy game, they're like, all right, we got the job done on to the next one. Whereas with, with, with Indiana against Purdue, like that was their Super Bowl going mm-hmm. out when that was the biggest game of their season right there. And they won it. And I don't think that they expected to win. So when they won, they celebrated and they came out the next game and it was like, all right, what do we do at this point? You know what I mean? Does that mm-hmm. make sense? So absolutely. It's, I think you have to get back to the point where you expect to win every single one of those games where when you have the number four team in the country come in your building, you expect to win that basketball game. So it's not a, Oh my God, look what we did. Like, oh, let's go celebrate. Oh, I'm going to kill Roy's shots on me. Buy him. <laughs> For Rob Finnessy, uh, but yeah, I mean, you, you know what I'm saying, though. It's hey, but but here's the thing: when it says expect expect to win, I'm sure they expected to win. That's why they played like shit. Like I'm sure they expected to win. Your habits when you're becoming a great team are what carries you through. No, things it's, like this. it's no, it's it's different because maybe the expectation is the wrong word. Maybe it's it's um, it's not accepting a loss. You know what I mean? Like it's we're going we're going here to get a job done. Like they, they, we're not going to play, but they have to know what, but they have to know what winning things are. Indiana, it's also, like you, it's, yeah, no, you have no, to you're consistently right. embrace winning things consistently. Exactly. Like you, it can't just be with Purdue. You have exactly. to consistently but embrace I, I winning think, things. I think what Indiana, what happened with Indiana is they went out and they won that game against Purdue, right? Playing with a certain level of confidence. And then against Michigan, you come into that building like, oh man, it'll be awesome if we do the same thing again today. Instead of walking in there with the exact same mindset that you have when the number four team in the country comes in. There's right. there's a level of like professionalism. There's a level of, okay, this is the job that we have to get done today. There's a level of like, uh, maybe even just like blue collar work. Whatever cliche you want to throw out there, there's a well, different separ- mindset. Go ahead. That's what separates Go ahead, good from great. That's what mm-hmm. separates yeah. the good from the great. Like handle handling greatness. Yeah. Consistently yeah, with your habits. There's a reason why Villanova's won more than anybody in college basketball over the last eight years. And if it were so easy, everybody would try it. But that's not how it works. And that's why sometimes when you talk to Villanova players, there's actually a robotic element to them. But that's just the demeanor of the program. So, sometimes. Sometimes when have you had a conversation with a Villanova guy where you felt like, Oh, wow, that guy might actually have like personal feelings. Tell you what, <laughs> I'll give the NCAA tournament. Hopefully a media member's gotten this far in the podcast NCAA tournament tip during the tournament folks, because you're, you're interviewing players. You're trying to get people. You want to talk to Justin Moore. You Justin want to Moore's talk the to guy. Justin Moore. Justin Moore's a good interview. Yeah. Yeah. Right, we're we're going to get him on. We're going to get him on after dark. Then he's the guy. Justin Moore's got some really good personality. I love Colin Gillespie and have, and have gotten him unfiltered off the air. Uh, on air, though, it's Villanova basketball. It's I'm following Archdiacono and Brunson. That's just how it is. That, that's how they represent themselves. The My man, main thing was the man's never smiled in his life. Okay? Oh, he go, smiled. Go find me. Go find me, Colin Gillespie, <laughs> smiling. Right. I'm I finding was, one. I thought it was so funny. The dude had 28 the other night in a come from behind win, and like he's just sitting there with that same yeah. look on his face. My favorite thing, Fanta, my dog. <laughs> when, when, when Fanta interviews him and asks him something, nothing about basketball, and he goes, well, it's just Villanova basketball. Uh, I was like, come <laughs> on, I asked you for your New Year's resolution. You go, I guess to be better at Villanova basketball. I go, that's not a resolution. I he go, goes, like, yeah, I just... like, like, eat more broccoli. <laughs> and he's like, all right, you know. But look, that's just how they handle themselves. If it were so easy, everybody would do it. That's not the way that Indiana has to, has to do it. In, in general, 
I want to see how the Hoosiers respond here this week. And if they can show me that they're a lot closer to being a team that can win a tournament game than being a team that I really have trust issues with big picture. You have an All-American on your team. And, and Michigan reminded us that they do have a guy who can be that on Sunday. And, Rob, you were, you were kind of perplexed when I said it. I, I don't think I, – I, we'll see if this ages terribly. But I'm going to go out on a limb. I don't think that we've seen the last of the Michigan Wolverines in this college basketball season. I just have this feeling that a stretch run is coming here. I, I really do. No, I, I agree. But my, my take is that they're never going to be – what we thought they were in the preseason just because their guards aren't good enough. And they're raw. Like the way that they're built is two of their probably three or four best players are Hunter Dickinson and Musa Diabate. And those guys essentially play the same role in a Jawan Howard system. Um, You're not going to be able to create enough space when you have two guys who are most effective from about like eight feet and in the reason they were great last year is because you had three dudes that were pros that could play the two, three, four, that could defend the two, three, four, that could play, make off the bounce and can make threes in livers in Franz Wagner and Shawnee Brown. And you just don't have that this year. Mm. You just don't. So they're, they're going to be good. They're going to find a way to get it done. Juwan Howard's a great coach. Hunter Dickinson is a great player. They're starting to make some shots. The confidence is building. They're going to make the tournament. I feel very confident in saying that they're going to make the tournament. They're just never going to be that top five, top 10, big 10 title challenging team they're just not it's just the the roster it's just the way that it goes sometimes the roster did not end up being as good as we thought it was going to be all right real quick before we get out of here i do want to talk about two teams that can win a national title this season they are playing on tuesday night at 11 p.m bill walton is going to be on the call uh let's talk about arizona ucla to give me your one minute breakdown real quick of arizona versus ucla and i need a arizona- you gotta give you gotta give me a prediction Arizona is going to win by 10 plus because they can guard everybody that UCLA has to offer period. That's what's going to happen. And they have a superstar in Benedict Mathurin. Go ahead and book it. Well, I think that that Tiger Campbell being a, a three-year starter, a point guard for UCLA uh, first, first three-year starter at UCLA, a point guard since Darren Collison. There's a, there's a little nugget for you. I think that the UCLA Bruins guard play is the key to this game. And that's the way that UCLA has to be able to, to win this game. They need Johnny Juzang to be efficient, which has been a little bit of a, an up and down type of thing throughout the season. And they need Jaime Jaquez to be the best player on the floor, but that's going to be really, really hard in this matchup. I think that Arizona has an athleticism edge in this game. And I do think that Arizona is a team that because of their, their quickness and because of the size with Matherin, if Kerr Creasa, this is, this is the game guys, where we talk about Kerr Creasa's level of control. If he is the composer in this game and dictates the way the game's getting played, then Arizona should win this game and they could end up winning it by 10 plus. I, I think that this has a chance to be a fantastic, fantastic basketball game. I have a gut feeling here that UCLA wins this game. I just do. I think Kame Haquez and Johnny Juzang package it together. They send a reminder to us. I think that UCLA may have a little bit of an edge uh, there on the wing. I like their ability to, to get things done on both ends of the floor. So I, I got a feeling the Bruins send a reminder to us of just how good they can be. And they find a way to win this game with their style. Yeah. And the other thing that I would note is um, 
UCLA, you just remember remember what they were when they played Villanova in that season over, how, how impressive that they were, how loud Pauly Pavilion was. Because I do want to put their season into context a little bit. Uh, after they won at Marquette, they did not play again for 26 days. They won at Marquette on December 11th. They did not play again until January 6th. Um, they struggled a little bit coming out of their COVID pause because they were they, they basically went for like two or three weeks where they, they didn't have enough guys to practice because the, the virus just ran through everybody. Kids were actually getting sick. Um, I think pretty much the entire team got it. So uh, it took them a little while to get back. And when they finally did get back, there were no fans in their building. Part of the reason they lost to Oregon is because you walk out, you get all hyped to play a game, you come out and you see nobody, nothing but blue seats and Pauley Pavilion. It was like a normal home game during the Steve Alford era is what they walked out into. So (laughs) Well done, um, sir. (laughs) So like there are going to be fans there. And, And look, they won at Colorado and they won at Utah last week. That is probably the toughest road trip in college basketball is to go to those and play those two games at elevation, two games in three nights against two really well coached teams. They're not great. Uh, T.O. doesn't like that take. No, it, it's, it's actually, no, it's a fact. It's a fact. I think uh, there's, there's less than like one time per year that somebody sweeps that road trip because you play two games and three games at, at, at elevation. You go, I'll look it up. I'll chase down the <laughs> stat for you. Since, since Colorado and Utah were added, I think like seven times, They've actually been swept um, at, in their road games. It's, it's ridiculous how how hard it is to play those two games back to back in three days at elevation. Either way, UCLA went out and they won those games. Now they're coming back home. National televised broadcast. You got Bill Walton on the call. You're going to have that place packed. You're going to be rocking. It's a chance to prove to college basketball how good, how back you are. It's going to be a great game. I'm fired up for it. I, however, I'm going to going to take Arizona in the spot. I just think that they have enough. The way that UCLA wants to play, isolate Johnny Juzang, isolate Jaime Hawkins, isolate Jules Bernard, let them go get a bucket. Benedict Mathurin, won't be able to do it. Won't Dale be able to Terry, too many good perimeter defenders. Uh, the one X factor, whether or not Azulis Tubelis plays, he's got, I think he sprained his ankle. He's got some kind of lingering. It's not serious, but it's just one of those things where he may not be at 100% even if he does play. So, Fanta, he- you got... You, Need Jules Bernard. You need yes. Jules Bernard to play well if you're UCLA. He's been that secondary scorer. He's actually second on the team in scoring. And UCLA's got to rebound the ball by committee, and that's going to be hard. Christian Coloco is an absolute force. And I, I think that for Arizona, this is a big, big type of game for Pell Larson and for Dalen Terry. You brought up Terry's perimeter defense. This is a, this is a test of that. Arizona has the front court advantage. Like UCLA, they need Miles Johnson to give them what they had hoped for. This is a huge, huge test for UCLA. Pele Larson. Pele Larson, the the pride of Lulio, Sweden, way up north in the Arctic Circle. That man goes three months a year without seeing sunlight. That's how far north that dude's from. So go ahead and throw that in there. Arizona, probably the better team on paper. I don't know. I got a gut feeling. I'm going to go with the Bruins for the sake of being a contrarian here. Well, there you go. Fanta is nothing if not a contrarian. So – uh, listen, ah. this was fun. Can this I do one more? Episode. Can I say one more thing? Can I say one more thing. Just Go last ahead. thing. We're, we're, I know, I know, we're, I know, we're burning the candle at both ends. I'm sorry, but I'm sitting here. I'm, I'm thinking about Indiana and like why they can't figure it out. And I think about Villanova and I think about all these great teams. Those great teams can embrace the monotony of greatness, and the monotony of greatness is that same rugged bullshit that you got to do every day in practice. The, like 
every single day, you have to attack those exact same things with every kind of effort. And Indiana is still embracing that. And obviously those three days prior, they just left it. But what I feel, I feel like you're trying out. I feel like you're trying out to be a motivational speaker right now. You know what? If like, if there's like going to make a, if there's hey look hey you look, if there's going to be a earlier. Hoosiers if there's going to be a Hoosiers remake I'm I'm signing up for it. Oh you my need to god, you're going the monotony of greatness. That's what uh, I hey, say every you, day. Hey, look, that's a Kobe. <laughs> hey, you gave tips about life earlier, Doster. You were doing your own TED talk about communication. So, all right. You're hey, both, look, the you both mentality. Are, all right. Yeah. There we go. Uh, thanks for attending <laughs> TO's TED talk. You're no welcome. business advice for me. I'm You're going welcome. to have lunch. I'm going to have lunch. Hey, what do we, what do we have for lunch, Fancy? <laughs> I'm not sure. I, I don't know. I think, you know what? It's Monday, so it's a salad. Monday. I got to get some salad in me. Uh, contrary to people's belief, I do eat leaves here and there sometimes. <laughs> I'm going to have some salad. I got to build up my strength. I do have to have more coffee tonight because I'm heading over to, to your friend Kevin Willard's house at Walsh Gym. First Big East game played there since 1985. Seton Hall, St. John's, 9 Eastern <laughs> time, Monday night. Shades of uh, the last time a Big East game was staged there, Chris Mullen was playing. So that should tell you, that'll be a lot of fun. Got to drink the coffee, nine o'clock start time over on campus. Well, there you go. There you have it. Anyway, this has been the episode of the DTF podcast. We'll see you guys again next week.